0: Okay, and then um,
1: see live on Facebook. Can you also send it to my uh, page?
0: Yeah, you know, I have trouble picking up things and moving them because I have too many things to do. But yeah, I could totally do it afterwards.
1: <laughs> okay, all right, I'll, I'll I'll see if I can shift it. No, no problem.
0: Okay, all right, cool. So, um, so we are we are live. Got it. So, Professor uh, Manu Ampin, happy new year!
1: <laughs> uh, happy new year, sister. Wanda. Good to see you and be with you.
0: Good to see you too. And um, for those that don't know you, um, uh, (laughs) you are um, a primary researcher and and historian and you're um, full-time faculty at Contra Costa College and you're on sabbatical for a year. Oh my gosh, congratulations. What a great way to start a new cycle, right? To be exactly. able to do, you know, like be able to immerse yourself in more research things that you haven't been able to get to, and now you can get to them because you have all that time to be able to, like, you know, do some things that you've been putting off.
1: Absolutely. Um, I'm always glad to be on sabbatical so I can uh, really put exclusive focus on my work away from the campus. So you're right. That's one of the great perks of being a professor.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I, uh, at your website, um. Maynewampim.com. You have a real extensive uh, bio and I'm gonna read just a little bit of it. You're a historian, as I already mentioned, primary first-hand researcher, and you teach your students and the community how to also be researchers and not just take things at face value. I remember that from when I first met you. And you specialize in African and African-American history and culture You have a BS degree in business management and an MA in history, African-American studies. And your master's thesis is, or was, um, the revolutionary Martin Luther King Jr. And that was 1989. Um, And did did you expand it into the two volume work, Martin Luther King, the evolution of a revolutionary? Has that happened? Or is that something you're gonna be working on?
1: That's gonna be coming, yes.
0: Okay. Awesome. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. I say to our, our dear um, Dr. King, whose birthday was this past Sunday and the holiday was Monday. And I think so far he is the only person of African descent that has a national holiday, right?
1: That's uh, probably true. It was a great (laughs) struggle. It was a great opposition. So he's been given a holiday now, but in the late 60s and 66, 67 and 68, uh, he was literally hated across America. There was great resistance. So, mm-hmm. so people should understand how this came about. It was through great struggle to make folks understand that they're gonna respect Dr. King.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember um, uh, Stevie Wonder going around the country with those concerts, cause we went to one. And, and then first it was a, states could adopt it. And I know this state uh some states didn't and this state did and and my job wouldn't give me the day off. So I just took a personal day and like, what? Yeah. No way. I'm totally gonna not go to work today and honor our brother. So um yeah, and you know, one nice thing, um uh actually, you know, we're talking about resistance for um for Asala. Um the the theme this year, um uh for Asala, which um is the organization that um, um, the founder, by uh, Woodson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Miseducation of the Negro. That's that person. <laughs> and he was, I don't know, was he the first person to get a doctorate um, at, uh, at Harvard? Uh, yeah,
1: he was the second.
0: Second, okay, yep. was uh, Du Bois the first? Du Bois, yes. Yeah, yeah, W. B. Du Bois. Anyway, the theme this year is Black Resistance. Isn't that cool? Absolutely. And and you 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 like you you personify that like all the time. Like, no, no, this is not correct. Oh, you know the the exhibit at the D Young Museum. Ramses II. Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about. Because when I saw it, I'm like, what oh, oh, <laughs> Professor New say about this? What would he say? Because, you know, you take p- people on trips. Actually, you're going to be taking people on a journey to Kemet and to, um, I don't know if you're going to be going to uh, Southern S- Sudan or not, but you are are an expert in this field. And, um, and so I, I just couldn't publish anything without checking with you. Like, have you seen it? What do you think? Who is Ramses II anyway? Because the narrative mm-hmm. through those, those um, earphones, you know, we buy the, uh, or rent the, uh, uh the, the guided tour, yeah, the yeah. audio tour. That's, that's not you speaking. I don't know why no one ever hires you. That'd be so awesome. Well, actually they need to hire you before they even put these things together. <laughs> and all the other wonderful, um, scholars that we met, some of them, at that wonderful conference. Tell us a little bit about that conference and if there's going to be another one and then let's just jump right on into Ramses II and who he is and why we should be honoring him and what's happening at the De Young Museum.
1: Yeah well I think you're referring to our uh, Kushite Nubian Heritage uh, International Conference that we had in yes. um, in October of 21. So just over a year ago and we had presenters from seven different countries to look at uh, Kush and Nubia as indigenous African civilizations that go back into antiquity. So the conference sponsored by the Kushite um, Kushite Nubian Collaborative, or KNC, we decided to chart an independent path, an independent pathway to be able to tell our story from our point of view. And so... um, we definitely were able to do that and really speak about the Nile Valley high level civilizations from an indigenous perspective. So it was great for us to have uh, our colleagues from Sudan, South Sudan, Egypt, but a total of seven different countries represented. So we wanted to make sure we give voice to those who have been voiceless to a large degree so that the international audience that we were addressing has uh, direct access to those who are in the trenches, who are the spokespersons persons for those different communities. So that was part of that, uh, the focus of the conference. But this Ramsey's exhibit, uh, folks have been, so this is in San Francisco right now. It's uh, Ramsey's the Great and the Gold of the Pharaohs. And people were talking quite a bit about it in the fall because there was a widespread uh, full court press to emphasize and promote this to the public. I knew automatically this is part of an overall theme to exploit African ancestors. And so there's been a lot of exhibits now in recent years, starting with the King Tuta Common, many exhibits that have been crisscrossing and traveling across America beginning in 2005, that there has been a concerted effort to make as much money as possible from the public. In other words, to get people to pay literally record prices to enter into these, these uh, exhibits, the King Tut Exhibit in 2005, six, and seven, it broke records where people were paying $30 per person. and But they still didn't meet the revenue goals. So they had to take that tour to Europe and came back to the US, and so they still didn't all, meet all the financial goals. But since that time, that's what, that's what the focus has been to find a way to promote African ancestors who have been reduced to nothing but so called mummies, because unfortunately, the paying public, they love. Love, love to to look at human remains that have been reduced to simply mummy status. So people will pay a ton of money to look at um, exploited African ancestors, whether it's King Tutankhamen or Ramses II or whoever it may be. And then they always, I mean, literally, the Egyptian government and Zahi Hawass and others, they always p- push and promote the idea of gold. So it's always a golden uh, city or a golden golden mummies or a golden parade where. In 2021, 21 African mummies were paraded through the streets of Cairo. They were taken from the Cairo Museum and literally paraded through the streets. They called it the Golden Parade, and it was a, an outrageous, disrespectful spectacle to take them from the Cairo Museum to the new National Museum of Egyptian Civilization. And they could have just sent them there and, and just had a parade, but they wanted to exploit the mummies. So in the larger context, the Ramsey second exhibit is a part of this. And in fact, the exhibit is so misleading, the gold that they speak of, there's no gold from the 19th dynasty, around 1250 or 1300 or so BCE. They took gold from a completely different era in order to throw it in the museum because they know that that attracts the uh, museum going public. And by and large, people of African descent do not go to museums. They typically don't. So it's not really for us. It's for those that have no moral compass that can see human remains being exploited and they're excited to go and they spend a lot of money. Now, this exhibit, by the way, is $40, 40. This is a new record, 40 on the weekend. If you want to save a few dollars, it's 37 during the week. And even for children, they're charging $25 and up. So the exhibit also was very poorly organized. But the main thing is to find a way to use African mummies to draw revenue uh, in these different museum exhibits. And that's what the Ramseys exhibit is really about. Very poor. All the ones I've seen at the DeYoung Museum, this is the worst and the most poorly organized of all of them.
0: Mm Right, yeah. Yeah, I went on um on what our ancestors called the Jubilee, which is uh, January first, uh, which comes after the night watch. And uh and then you know, January first was the day that the Emancipation Proclamation became law, and those people of African descent um who were able to get away were free, um, because the law wasn't being enforced. <laughs> uh and, and that particular uh trajectory has You know come forward insofar as we have all these laws on the books like civil rights laws that we didn't need a civil rights movement because the laws were already in place but they weren't being enforced um so i was wondering if you could talk a little bit about about ramses the second the great ramses um he um he is really he's credited with um a reign of peace um, and uh, a peace treaty that was signed between um, uh, his kingdom and that of the Hittites, um, and and them having, you know, hundred years of peace. So he was able to build, and he built more. I was reading. You can tell me if I'm right or not. Than any other 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 pharaoh, and there are these big, wonderful, um, uh, I guess um, temples you know, um in his honor and also in the honor of of his his wife, um uh one of his wives, uh Queen Nefatare. And so anyway, and and he had like, I think he had a hundred kids. Well anyway, he had a lot of children. <laughs> and um yeah and and then in this one of the temples, I think is uh Queen Nefatare's temple, um there the light comes in um twice a year from the sun I think October 22nd and another date I think is in February and a lot of times people want to plan their um their visit so that they can see the sunshine come through at that particular time but you've been there and um and I don't know how many times you've been there how many times have you visited this well, be- I've been,
1: uh, uh, yeah I've, I've been doing field work since 1990 so what I focus on is not the number of visits but two things, how long I've been visiting and when I go, uh, how long I stay and what I accomplish. Because you know, to be honest, sometimes people just check off a box and say, I went so many times, but what did you do when you were there? How long you were there? So for me, I'll stay for about a month and a half, not simply leading the tour, but doing work in the field, going to pyramid sites, temple sites, tomb sites, and ancient residential sites. That's really the most important focus. But with the Ramseys, um, the, the legacy of Ramses. one of the, the, the things that's most important about Ramseys is that he's the single greatest builder, not only in the history of Kemet, not only in the history of Africa, but he's the single greatest builder in the history of humanity when you look at the grand and expansive works of Ramseys. And for anybody that knows about Ramseys' extensive building projects, even if you take off, any monuments where his name is on it, where he didn't build. People say he was usurping or taking the credit uh, from somebody else. No, he's not. He is restoring and he's adding his name. Uh, But even if you take those monuments out of the equation and you look at what he built from the ground up, you see temples, colossal statues, tremendous monuments. He's the single greatest builder. So when we go to places, as you were uh, just referring to, in the south of Egypt, Abu Simbel, where his major temple is there and then his temple of his wife, Nefertari. You look at this grand building. And so usually the guides are very intimidated by Ramsey's building projects. So they say that Ramses was ego tripping. And I always tell my group that, listen at this misinformation uh, over our shoulder. They're intimidated by African men, b- men building on that scale, on that kind of level because of the confidence and the ability to achieve on a level that no one else can even conceive of, let alone uh, alone achieve of. And so he's not ego tripping. He is building for eternity. This is African manhood at its strongest. So Ramses is the single greatest builder. So when the sun shines into his temple, uh, it's his temple on February 22nd and October 22nd, these are special days. And the only way in which the sun shines at that angle and lights up the four statues in the Holy of Holies, 180 feet in the back of that, um, that temple, this is science at its best. And you're right, people flock to Abu Simbel to see the great phenomena. But Ramses is the single greatest builder. But you don't get that. You don't really get that idea when you go to the Ramses uh, Museum because the, uh, the curators and those that organize the exhibit, they misrepresent the importance of Ramses and his reign and legacy. So they're focusing on fighting and warriorism uh, as opposed to him as a great builder. So when you go to the exhibit for example, uh when you go to the uh exhibit sorry about the video, but when you go to the exhibit, the uh the first thing that's there, the first gallery says Ramses as a warrior. That's mm-hmm. not why he's most important. He's most important as a prolific builder. And so they have this section with Ramses as a warrior. Then there's a little uh, section on the spiritual tradition, which is minimized. It should be maximized because of the great temples built during his reign in the 13th century BCE. And then they have a little section on Ramses as a builder. And then guess what the museum does? Then they leap again to the warfare and the, the treaty with the Hittites. And they even have a video that uh, that reenacts this. The problem with all of this is that it makes no thematic sense. How do you have a section with him as a warrior and then you, you have uh, other sections in between and you leap back to a section with him in battle? Those sections should have been linked together. Him as a warrior and him during the Battle of Kadesh. The Battle of Kadesh ends with the first peace treaty in the history of the world. That's why it's very significant because uh, other peace treaties after that famous peace treaty with the Hittos was modeled after that original uh, peace treaty and you're right there's a reign of peace so he ruled for 67 years he's not fighting during that time so why is that such a area of focus because that is the value system and the mindset of the exhibit uh, organizers and curators that's not the reality of the history and, and uh, so I went uh, uh, to be honest I would not have gone and wasted my time and money but there were two of the sisters in the community who had youth with them, and they asked, could I please have a private tour and, and, and go through the exhibit with them? So I, I did so, and uh, and, I, and I was pointing this out along the way, that they have two related sections, him as a warrior and fighting split, which makes no thematic sense, and then they use the videos at the museum to have light skin and white skin Arab types supposedly representing the people in ancient Kemet, and this is completely contrary to the historical record. So when you see artifacts there at the ex- exhibit, you see the paint representing the dark pigmentation of the skin. But at the reenactments, you have people that are, are many light, uh, many uh, skin shades lighter because it's all about propaganda. So the exhibit was really laid out in a way to mislead the public on the significance of Ramses. And of course, as I was explaining this to my group of a dozen people, there's always people leaning in weighing in and they were asking questions a lot of and and by the way two hours do you think there was anybody of african descent at that exhibit no these were mainly uh it's for the white public and so uh you had a few asians as well but mainly the white um museum going public so some of them were asking me questions because the museum was very confusing was not laid out well even the timeline they couldn't get right and people were trying to figure out well where did the greeks come in Say, so, yeah, I know they don't present it in any, any clear manner. So I had to explain the Greeks came in at the very end, everything was already done and over. The civilization had already uh made a tremendous impact in the world and had already uh gone by the time the foreigners were coming in, the Greeks and Romans. So I had to explain that to visitors and other things that they were asking. In fact, people even took off their audio headsets to ask me questions because they understood that i was given far more insight and details than the mickey mouse exhibit that they had paid a ton of money to to view so it really was poorly organized and um and then the gold for example the the way in which they attract people and in the theme the gold of the pharaohs this was not even from the time of ramses this was from the 22nd dynasty he was the 19th dynasty so the exhibit organizers leaped to a brand new <laughs> a dynasty and century, <laughs> you know, they, they leaped to a different century in order to throw in the gold. So the group that I was with was trying to feel, figure out where was the gold. So you didn't see it when I was pointing out a couple of things. That's the gold section. So why wow, we miss it? Exactly. It's not a significant part of the exhibit, but they marketed it that way. So anyway, but that's what happens when you go to these kind of um, exhibits. Where if you're not really with a specialist, it's laid out in a way to mislead and misdirect the public from what's really important. Now, and by the way, one thing, too, just uh, last thing I want to point out to show you how things are done, um, you've got to have an orientation at the very beginning of an exhibit. In other words, you have to have a historical context, meaning when and where. Do you think that there were any maps of Africa to give people the geographical orientation? Of course not you had a picture of <laughs> they had a map of egypt and then they had in the map it was where the hittites were like in modern day turkey and parts of what people would consider today the middle east but there's no real larger context that egypt or kemet is in the northeast part of africa so if you can't get a map straight you can't get history straight so this is the problem when you go into the exhibits is that it's propaganda from the very very beginning from the visual uh reenactments that have nothing to do with the people from the classical period and maps that are completely distorted and so i told the group that you have to go to the last section literally you're going into the last section of the exhibit and there is a map of africa but it's so small that i looked and saw that 90 percent of the people never saw it so i asked my group did you see the africa map they said where so i showed them a picture on my phone <laughs> and they were surprised they said you know what they said We didn't see it. I said, exactly. That was the point, for you not to see that Kemet is in Africa. And so that's all by design, uh, Sister Wanda. So when I heard from you about your questions about the exhibit, and it didn't seem to be right, I was glad to hear from you. And at the time, I was not committed to go with this private group. They had asked me to come, but I know them very well, and they've been supporting my research. So I decided that reciprocity is important, and I didn't mind to go to help them and the children to uh, decipher this uh, propaganda.
0: Yeah, wow. So um I was wondering if if you um were um curating such an exhibit, you know, to sort of highlight the life of this great builder uh, Ramses II, what would you highlight? You know, like how would you how would you um what would you emphasize and de-emphasize? And before you talk about that, where where was the map of Africa? I don't know if I saw.
1: <laughs> <The map. laughs> I have missed it myself. Yeah. The map of Africa was right after the section when they highlighted the Battle of Kaddish in the first peace treaty. Mm-hmm. So so they had a model of uh, the Abu Simbel uh, temples for Ramses and his wife Nefertari and uh the gallery after that towards the end of that next gallery, it was on the wall and it was not a big map at all; it was a part of an of a it was on the right side of a larger uh map and so you know i'm I've been doing work detail work in museums now since nineteen ninety around the world, so I have a keen eye for these days but it was not meant to be seen. It was it, it was de-emphasized. And why would you have the the why would you, why would anybody have a map of Africa at towards the end of the gallery as opposed to the very beginning, so people can understand geographically what area we're referring, referring to? So this is very orchestrated propaganda. And if it's not orchestrated, if somebody said, well, they they would never do that, well, that means they're ignorant. and and they should not have their hands on sacred artifacts misleading the public masquerading as professionals. Mm -hmm. And so I've had a lot of people that have always come to me including docents at the museum to say that, um, I remember um, the queen, sorry, it was the King Tutu Common exhibit, a a docent came to me, Uh, she was a nice white lady. She came and she said, she looked around to the left and right and whispered and said, wow, this is great. I'm, yeah, I'm a docent, but I'm learning so much. And so she didn't want anybody to hear that she did not know what I know. Yeah, because I've spent you know, tons of hours meticulously examining millions of artifacts in museums around the world. So I never mind people coming to me. In fact, people were quite nice. And we had, I said, there were no Black people there in two hours. Oh, I'm sorry, there was the Black security guard. And I asked her, was Trina still working in one of my old my old uh friends from the old neighborhood and she said no i don't think i know it trina but then she said i'm so glad you're here i'm really really glad you're here and i really learned a lot so you know thank you so much <laughs> you know because she can hear the difference between what i'm saying and then what others might say as they go through the gallery the way i would organize it number one ramsey well first of all those phony video reenactments we don't need that uh that's phony it's fake it's um you know, biased nonsense with light skin and 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 uh, and white skinned Arab actors supposedly um, reenacting some ceremony. You don't have to do that. What I would have done is forget all that. The reenactments are fine. We it simply could have been the videos of the actual rituals on the temple and tomb walls that that you can see. All you have to do is pan the wall, and you see the, the elaborate ceremonies and rituals, and you see the original images and the original uh, Africans who are performing those rituals so that would have been more important that's what I would have done as an opening three to four minute video rather than a phony reenactment because at that point the folks in my group were absolutely stunned at the misrepresentation propaganda where they see you know because they were shocked they didn't expect to be disrespected so early at the opening video before they could see the artifacts I said well sisters I understand that but you got to get used to it this is what the traducers do. The traducers are masters that propaganda and gross misrepresentation, to say the least. So I would have had a, a video opening video to show the ceremonies, the that's what, what Ramsey's involved, his family, by showing the actual video footage of the wall, rituals and ceremonies, and the huge statues and monuments that Ramsey's built. Then I would have opened up the gallery with the most important thing about Ramses and him as the greatest builder on, builder on record and show those monuments that represent his uh, his great building feats. Now they did have something about a video later about Ramses and the Ramaseum, is this, this uh, temple structure on the West Bank in Luxor, but that was buried in the gallery as opposed to being the first in the first gallery. So you can see that this man was a prolific builder with colossal statues that are 65 feet high. And uh, and then point out the mastery of the stonemasons who were building in limestone, in graywack, in um, in alabaster, and and uh, red granite, and any kind of stone you can think of, as well as wood, and they were building to perfection because they were building for eternity. I would have expanded that area. I would have made it first so that the visitors understood that this man. Is known not simply because of a peace treaty, which does have some value, but because of his prolific building, and then show all of the elaborate rituals and ceremonies that we can see uh, illuminated in great detail during his reign, like the the temple of his father Seti I in Abidju or so-called Abidos, where you have the seven shrines with important rituals and ceremonies that should have been. After the establishment of Ramsey's as a great builder, then the extraordinary rituals and ceremonies, that should have been the the, uh, the section of the exhibit after that. But the museum was very poor with artifacts. I mean, very limited. So it was really a, a poorly orchestrated exhibit where the themes were out of place. They should have been merged in some cases. And then in the middle of all this, they had 22nd dynasty, gold, why does that, that doesn't relate to Ramses, and then they also had jewelry, yes, very, very nice jewelry, but guess what, it's from the 12th dynasty, this is a completely different era, this is from an earlier golden age, Ramses represents the third golden age, the first golden age was the pyramid age, where they were building pyramids, building monuments for eternity. Then after a 1000 years, there's a breakdown in government. Then in 11th and 12th, we have the great literary age, so-called middle kingdom. And they then had jury, nice jury, but it's from a different era. That 12th dynasty jury does not relate to the third golden age in the 19th dynasty or the temple age that Ramses represent. And by the way, folks, uh, if you, you look at temple ways, that's what the foreigners call the new kingdom. That's a foreigner idea as African scholars and as a chemistologist, we call it the temple age because that's where great temples were being built, not only by Ramses, but his other ancestors and colleagues and other rulers during the 18th and 19th dynasty. So my orientation would have been very, very different than what the visitors saw um, when they spent all that money to see an exhibit that was, uh, was misleading to say the least.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. And the way you just laid that out, it would have been easy to follow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. But the jewelry was from the 12th dynasty, the wrong place. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You know, that's so interesting, you know, this fascination with gold. And I think I think about manifest destiny and um and that whole Eurocentric no um notion of of, of conquering and 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 plunder and building of riches, particularly gold. You know, you think about our gold standard, which we don't have anymore here, you know, backing the money. Um and they were saying uh in the um in the soundtrack um a narrative about gold being the skin and uh and I know you heard that too and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about gold as as a metaphor. But I really wanted you to spend some time talking about uh how um, our ancestors, uh Ramses II, um as well, um honored, honored his ancestors. Um he he honored his mother, he honored his father, and and of all in all of the different you know uh deities that are represented, um uh, I didn't know that Foth was Tahuti. <laughs> you know, yeah. they give us the wrong name and I'm like, oh, okay. And then, and then, you know, we've got, um, you know, the sky goddess. And, and then I just think about the different names in our different uh, spiritual traditions. You know, we've got the Kemetic and we've got, you know, Ifa, but they're all the same. Um, and, and so they're different names for the same deity. And, and I, I don't know the Greek ones really well. So I looked at, it, I was like, oh, hootie okay (laughs) yeah so i just wanted to talk a little bit about that because i'm always really interested in that and then they talked a lot about or they showed the different um sacrificial um uh animals and insects and things like that and and they were also they were put in the in the tombs um uh you know wrapped and things like that and they said it was big business um yeah.
1: Yes. Monetizing right. everything. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know what? I'm glad you mentioned that because that's one of the other problems with the museum is that those mummified animals in that uh that section of the museum none of them were from the time of Ramses. This is from the late period. This is when the foreigners were there. So during the foreign period When foreigners would come, because we have to look at a a string of foreigners from the Assyrians to the Persians, to the Greeks, to the Romans, the Arabs still hadn't arrived until the seventh century of the common era. But all these string of foreigners come and but particularly during the Greco Roman period, um, starting with Alexander, I didn't say Alexander uh, the great but Alexander of Macedon, nothing great about fighting and killing all the time. But they started to mummify everything because they didn't understand the African practices. And so whenever you start looking at this late period, the fourth century of the com- of, uh, before the Common Era, that's when you see a lot of changes. So all of those mummified animals were from the time when the Greeks and Romans began to uh, imitate African practices and change a lot of the values. So they're not from the time of Ramses. That's why I say it was poorly organized. They were thin with actual artifacts. So if somebody was not looking at as I was the actual time period in dynasties, they would think that. And it's a logical thought process that this must be from the time of Ramses and associated with Ramses. But they were not. They were not from the time of Ramses, nor were they associated with Ramses. So it is a historical and amateurist to leap through history, literally leap through history and just and go and just start leaping uh, centuries and centuries later in order to come up with some kind of. Uh, a theme for an exhibit so this is really uh, uh, what you saw with those those animals there and um, I'm sorry I, I, your 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 other main question was
0: oh about honoring um, you know the deities um, oh, I mean because yes. it was yeah. like remember that big room where they had all the beautiful um, pictures on the walls of the deities and on the ceiling, and then there was one where there yes, was this yes. tomb, and you could look under the tomb yes. and you could see the impression. Um, that yes. was a cool photograph. But it is anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah, very much yes, yeah. So so that was uh, one of the uh, one of the um, one of the areas of the exhibit where it was related to the time of Ramses. In fact, so they showed the tomb of Sinusium. Senegem was one of the high officials during the the temple age and Senegem's tomb is at a place called Der Er Medina. Der Er Medina is the modern name but the name in classical Kemet was called Set Ma'at. Set Ma'at means the place of truth. I mean what a name for and so that was the name of the village there. So the village has several hundred homes from antiquity it is still there the the old steep streets are there the rooms are there but there's tombs like the tomb of Cinegem and I was just there in uh October and November yeah I was at the tomb of Cinegem so what they did was they had the actual they had actual um coffin and then they had the uh the visual representation of how the tomb looks that was one of the few things I thought was done very well but um very beautiful. So, if anybody looked at the coffin, they can see these dark skin, super brown, almost black skin images that were completely contrary to the video reenactments that people were were exposed to. But you're right; the rituals, the ceremonies—that's the most important, one of the most important things. Other than Ramses building, that should have been highlighted. And speaking about Ramses and the rituals and ceremonies, there's so many of them. I mean, you can pick the temple, and you have Ramses presenting a series of very, very important ceremonies. One of the most important ceremonies, as you mentioned, um, about honoring the ancestors is at Abidu, or so-called Abydos. At this location, the temple of Seti I, his father, Ramses' father, um, he started the temple, and his son Ramses finished this great temple at Abidu. It's in the middle part of Kemen. And I always take people, well, my my groups, and I'm leading the tour again this uh, this summer. We're going to go from June 10th to the 24th, and that's always on our agenda. And so, as we go to Abidju, we go to the the temple of Seti I and his son Ramses, and there is a gallery. It's called the King Gallery, or, or the Ancestral Gallery, where you see a statue. Oh, sorry, excuse me. This is a these are reliefs on the wall. So you see a relief of Seti the One. Uh, seti Seti first as the king who's ruling and his son ramses who's in front of him and they're performing a ritual what's special about this ritual is that seti I has he has a gesture like this and so when you see a gesture like this it means that in an, an important announcement is being made so when seti is is like this and his young son ramses is in front of them they're facing 76 ancestors of ramses and those who were in the 19th dynasty so this is a ritual where they're pouring libation and burning the incense and then seti is telling ramses to respect your ancestors and and, and and so this is from dynasty one all the way up until the rule of ramses and seti in the 19th dynasty 76 royal ancestors that are being honored it's one of the most important and special scenes and guess what I get excited every time I go because I'm showing people in real time this great gallery where people are honoring and respecting their direct ancestors. And it's a very special ceremony that's being performed. How in the heck does that not become a part of the Ramses exhibit? But that's my point. You have foreigners who are more focused on fighting and killing in battles than what Ramses was really uh, important for. Which is his great building and the elaborate and extensive rituals. Yes, you can point out the uh, that that he was a warrior and 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 so forth. But how does that become the lead story? And then they return to it again in the exhibit because it seems like they were maybe running out of material or things to share. And so somebody wanted to to focus okay. on fighting again. But I agree, the Battle of conditions is important, but it cannot supersede everything else that Ramses has left for humanity.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah well often in this exhibit you know we hear about the love story between Ramses II and and Queen Nefertari and um so I wanted you to talk about that um as well as I want to get back again to um you know these deities um you know Newt I believe is the name yeah. of of the sky god yeah. and 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 just sort of and his mom you know his mom there's there's I don't know if it's the real one but there's 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 a, um, a statue there that's supposed to be representative of his mother so so I wanted you to sort of like talk a little bit about that that female energy and and the you know and the god coming in that particular form and and we could start with his we could start with his mother no no we could start with his his mate one of many. <laughs> but but she was highlighted. And I don't know if, if if that was propaganda or you know or what.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you pointed it out. So, you know, Ramses was he was very prolific, <laughs> very prolific with building and also producing as well. So when you see reliefs of Ramses on a temple wall, for example, you see his children and um and his wife, his great wife was Nefertari. It's, and you see the, the 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 love and respect where he has a great temple at Abu Simbel, but his, so does she. So if uh, those that are viewing, you you probably have seen this image of the temple of set of uh, Ramses and his wife Nefertari. is right there in the um, and uh, it's right there. It would have been flooded by Lake Nasser, but it's there in the southern part. Of Egypt and and um, it's important to go there and see it. But if you haven't seen it, just look up Abu Simbel, A B U, and then Simbel, uh, S A B L E, and then you'll see um, the significance of Ramses and um, his his work. Uh, S I B uh, S I B E L. Uh, is that is that the
0: picture? That the the image that you sent me um for my story?
1: Yes, yes. Okay,
0: yes. well, I it's, all you need to go is to go to com, and we got links. We've got a video of Professor May leading a talk in one of the tombs there. You could just have a good time and then and then go look further,
1: you know? Yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Go to Bell, you can take a look at Wanda's Picks. So, yeah, the, the relationship between Ramses and Nefertari was obviously a positive relationship. She was honored and highlighted. You see this temple in her honor and these huge statues of her along with her husband. So Nefertari was the great wife. You see her uh, with her husband in many different scenes. So her uh, importance is uh, is well-established to say the least. And in addition to that, uh, the, 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 the amount of rituals and ceremonies that take place are very special. So you're right, in the exhibit, there's a coffin there and underneath the lid. I mean, these lids are made out of, uh, out of granite. These are very heavy heavy lids that no one was really expected to see because they're in tombs. But yet when you look at the stonemasons work, I mean, it's perfect 90 degree angles. It's, it's almost as if they finished these um, coffins with a laser finish because it's absolute perfection as they carve these and then underneath this lid you have newt the goddess newt who's outstretched with her arms and legs because she represents heaven or the sky or heaven and uh, many people stopped in the exhibit to to take a picture of this because they had a mirror a mirror where you can actually see underneath the lid and they even had a picture of the goddess newt on the wall so people if they didn't look underneath the lid they can see it on the wall so that I would say it was probably one of the other areas of the exhibit that was well done, but but it was so poorly organized overall that it takes away. But that was very important because goddess Newt represented sky. She represented not just the sky, but heaven. And in many scenes, not in that particular scene underneath the lid, but you see Newt swallowing the sun. Mm -hmm. It was dark in the world. And then you see literally hour by hour, the sun traveling through the body of Newt. And then she gives birth to the element the most powerful element in our universe, the sun in the morning, and then gives light and life to the world. I mean, what a tribute to women where the sun, she's giving birth to the greatest element in the universe. This is why nude is so important and so special. But Ramses gave respect to, uh, as was a part of the tradition, not only to the deities, but his respect for his wife, for his mother, Tuya. So yeah, that was an image of his uh, his mother, Tuya, who's the wife of Seti I, his father, so his mother and father, how come they didn't have a scene where both Tuya, his mother and father Seti, were together? You see how these people think it doesn't make sense. Why wouldn't you put an artifact of his parents together? They weren't divorced, they weren't split up in any kind of way, but they're split up in the museum so you don't get a sense of the strong family foundation that Ramses came from because of the disjointed way in which the museum was set up. And that's what I always point out to people, is not just the artifacts, but look at how they're being organized to give you a particular idea. So you never get a sense of a strong African family, the way they separated the artifacts. But yes, Thuya was definitely his mother and Sethi I was definitely his father. And he came from a great tradition of African rulership, but you don't get that sense in the way that they presented it. But certainly, the women in the reign of Ramses and his father were of or were highly respected during the Great Temple Age.
0: Mm, yeah. Well, what I was talking about specifically around his mother was that particular statue, because mm-hmm. in in the in the uh the narrative on the statue, it said that um sometimes image, statue would be repurposed, you know, like it really wasn't his mom, but they renamed the statue and so i was just wondering you know is it was that an image of his his actual mom because Mm -hmm. um she looked more like me (laughs) you know like she looked you know like like a sister as opposed to someone of mixed race heritage
1: (laughs) well yeah but none of them were mixed race The, the issue that we find and i pointed it out with the group i was with is that you have the ongoing problem of de Africanization? Mm-hmm. So, with all of these areas, it's the same dirty hands where you have the hands of modern man that's literally uh, stripping the paint, literally mm-hmm. stripping the paint from the artifacts, whether they're reliefs or statues. Mm-hmm. And it was so blatant when I was there just a couple months ago at one of the temples that uh, a number of people stopped to watch these modern workers literally just. With a sledgehammer, just banging out and destroying wall material. Um, I have video footage and photographs going back to 1994, and that's why I started to write the Vanishing Evidence of Classical African Civilizations series. So the Vanishing Evidence series, I I was I've documented the Vanishing Evidence in temples, the Vanishing Evidence. In tombs, the vanishing evidence in museums, where you have modern, not ancient, but modern conspirators that are literally de africanizing images by stripping the paint color, literally scraping it off in modern times, and um, and and reshaping the facial structure, nose structure, structure of the lips. So uh, that's what you have going on, and there was evidence of that at the exhibit itself. So that. Mm-hmm a lot of the artifacts are carved on a white limestone. So limestone is white. So when you strip the original brown paint away, what the visitor is looking at is the white limestone. And they get the impression, oh, that must have been how they look. No. If you look closely, you'll see the the original brown, dark brown, or almost black traces of the original skin color. Mm -hmm. If you don't just take a two second look and move on no take a close look at it you see the paint all around the face so mm-hmm. they strip it and that's what happens so when statues are repurposed the egyptologists once always so repurposed in ancient times no one's also restructured in modern times as well so i believe the statue that you're referring to to you that is his mother okay. and of course they did repurpose monuments and blocks and stones and they reused them you know they reused blocks why would they go you know, dozens of miles away or 100, 100 miles away to quarry uh, for rocks when you have rocks, because things are sometimes in ruins. And when they're in ruins, they certainly did repurpose uh, images. So uh, that is an image of his mother, for sure, Julia. And um, But I did notice that there had been some modern scraping. And so mm-hmm. if if they want to repurpose something, then usually... During the time of Ramsey's, what they would do is change the name, if anything, Mm -hmm. or add the name. as Maybe they restored the monument, but they don't go around changing facial features and stripping off paint. That's done since the mid-1800s and later by modern conspirators who have a racial agenda. And I've been able to document thousands and thousands of cases of this. This is why people on Facebook looked at a post that I made regarding the avenue of the Sphinxes in Luxor, linking the Luxor and Karnak temples. And these are supposed to be this is supposed to be a mile and a half long avenue that's restored from ancient times. They removed buildings and homes and and some of the people are not happy that they were had their houses moved so they can restore this avenue. But if you look at the statues of the sphinxes and the faces of them, this is where you have the dastardly criminal activity that has and continues to take place as this avenue is being restored. So that's what people have to be concerned about. But that particular statue is his mother and the repurposing would simply be them maybe changing or adding a name to it and not simply involved with theft as it's being presented or to strip paint color to de-Africanize. No, that's a modern issue.
0: Wow, that's Vanishing Evidence series. So where is that series? Is it on your website?
1: It's on my website. So anybody can go to mainuampim.com and then look at the Vanishing Evidence of Classical African Civilizations series. And I've mm-hmm. written a number of uh, essays in that series since 1994.
0: Oh, that's excellent. I'm really happy that you're able to document it because if no one documents it, then you know, people could say it did, it never existed. Um, because there's no evidence of it correct mm-hmm. wow wow that's good important work um so i know we're going over we didn't know we could feel this time but we we are because you are like so such a rich resource and i'm so happy you belong to us yes <laughs> um they said a lot of times um in you know in the soundtrack that i purchased <laughs> um the audio tour.
1: How that, much did that audio tour, by the way? How how much did they charge for that? Do you remember?
0: Um gosh, my friend treated me. Um it was it wasn't $40. I'm thinking maybe, maybe $10, $15. Okay. Um, if you were a museum um, member, you got a discount. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, but the whole idea of you can take it with you. You know, we think about um how we're more than our, our flesh, you know, like the flesh is a part of the earth, you know, we come from the earth and we return to the earth, but our well we don't die, you know, because our spirit, you know, is is bigger than the body. You know, it just lives here and moves through this body. Um, and and so the whole idea of having, you know, tombs and preserving the body as they are preserved and then putting in the tombs, you know, what the people who are are buried let's say the pharaohs would use in their day to day and and then I was just thinking about other traditions um like the the terracotta um warriors, how they also were buried with what they needed what they would use in day, the day to day so you know if they needed some sustenance, it was right there if they needed some help, like they had servants, they would be right there, but they weren't they didn't kill people like and have like well i don't I'm not sure, but I know I know the um, you know, in, in the Kemet, they didn't actually kill people and have, because sometimes some traditions they actually do kill live people, you know, not live, but and then have the the remains of those people are in the tombs too. So I was wondering the whole idea of a reincarnation and and the thoughts around, you know, sort of why such such buildings, such temples, was it because um, these ancestors um, believe that there will be another another life after this life?
1: Um, yeah, you know, all all the evidence says yes to that. In fact, even in the temple that I was referring to a few minutes ago, the seti, the first temple that was uh, completed by Ramses, but that temple at Abidu, you see it there. You see the resurrection literally the resurrection, you look at the reincarnation, it's a continuous cycle, but you see it there at the temple, you see it at the Dendera temple, that's um, not too far from there in the Kena area, because we go to both temples together on the tours, and you see it, you see the immaculate conception, the divine birth, you see the reincarnation, you see all of that, and it's very vividly portrayed with with uh uh in the temple with the uh with the different reliefs. So it's clear that this is how they saw it, whether someone looked at the temples there at the Abidu or Dindera area, or if they went to the Valley of the Kings and looked at all of those tomb paintings there. You see the 12 hours of the night and you see the resurrection or the reincarnation of the sun. This is them identifying as the as the sun. The sun takes the 12 hours during uh, 12 hours in the duat. The duat is the place of spiritual transformation. So it's D-W-A-T, the duat, or it could be D-U-A-T, but the duat is the place of spiritual transformation. And so during those arduous 12 hours during the night, a person, uh, the sun uh, represented as the creator or the initiate, they have to go through each gate and each perilous journey. And each gate represents an hour of the night. So during those 12 hours of the gates, one has to go through each of those perilous journeys. Um, and you have to know the words of power, and you must have powerful beings around you to make it through that arduous journey night uh, hour by hour during the night. And you see that the sun, they always present a positive view. So the sun emerges in the daytime and represent life and light, and that is their presentation on the reincarnation and resurrection and so so one is to become uh like the light and to identify with the light the sun or the sun they're not worshiping the sun they just see the sun as the greatest power in the universe so they're um making some analogy there but certainly this idea of reincarnation and rebirth is uh is demonstrated in great detail in a number of different tombs and temples
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah i was really really happy to see um you know hey Rune represented um uh, reference and you know of course set um you know his his uncle and um i didn't see uh Asar or set um but maybe i missed the reference <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> so wow this is this has been just really fascinating gosh i really i really like to learn more about the duat um and have you written about that too
1: i have not written extensively but i've done workshops on oh. um on the spiritual tradition in ancient kemet mm-hmm. so if anybody uh wants to to be in on that they can can, uh, can 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 uh, inbox me there at Facebook, so send me a direct message, or you can simply uh, check me out and reach me at uh, mainnewmpim at gmail. Because uh, I've done workshops, but also I have uh, Sister Wanda a a, pri- a primary research workshop, a couple workshops coming up as well. So it's on African studies and primary research, and um, so we it's a three part series. We did the first one on January 9th. And there's two more parts to the series, February 6th and then March the 6th. So the, fe- the February 6th primary research workshop is um, is on museum it, it happens to be on museum research, literally. <laughs> so 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 <laughs> yeah it's a museum research on February 6th. And then the the third and final part of the series on March 6th is on Uh, research in the field at the archaeological sites. So I invite people to uh, check out the series and uh, you can see all of the details on Facebook or message me at mainnewmpim at gmail and then we'll be glad to email you um, the whole seminar series and people can register because um, you know it's about writing but it's also about uh, teaching live workshops as well.
0: Mhm right, yeah, and your um and this particular series is 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 online right, like people it's online, yeah, it's online, so people it can easy. yeah,
1: mm-hmm. it makes it easy people can register and chime in from anywhere uh in the u s or international we had a first session was a very good session, a lot of people from various parts of the country, and um I think we might have had a, one international person as well on mm-hmm. on uh The one that we just finished. So people are welcome to to register and sign up and they can go to advancingtheresearch.org and find out or just contact me directly. We'll we'll get the information out. But uh, it's very important that we look at the significance of museums and that's a, um, a fundamental institution for the dissemination of information. Unfortunately, most times it's the dissemination of misinformation. We know about the problem with textbooks. And the history channel and discovery channel and national geographic channel and the docudramas that misrepresent history but all too often sister one is that people misunderstand the significance of how museums play a key role in disseminating information to the public mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah yeah wow well this has been a really wonderful conversation and um and um i'm going to um Join you <laughs> in your series, but I'm really looking forward to, um, you know, when you do the uh, the Duat, um, um I guess series. I don't know, um, workshop, whatever, because that looks really great. You know, like this whole idea of of this journey. You know, like we we hear all the time about the Eurocentric hero's journey, but this is our hero's journey. Yes. But but and I I, but I don't know it. Uh, I can recite the other one, but I I don't know this one. And and you you came out with a new book. um, So people can also purchase your your book. Is that on your website, too? And could you tell us what it's called again?
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. So my uh, my book, A History of African Civilizations. So that's uh, uh, my most recent book. And I'm going to. uh, come out with a second revised edition very soon. So A History of African Civilizations, where I'm covering some of the uh, information. And, and actually, that's a part of the registration. All that register for the primary research uh, seminar series, they get a copy of A History of African Civilizations. So anybody can find it on our website, advancingtheresearch.org, or simply go to MPM. .com. Now, if somebody buys it on Amazon, they can. But the only thing I say to them, I'm not signing it if you if you pay Amazon their fee and you buy it there. So mm-hmm. you can get it there. No problem. We want to get the word out. But we want you to make sure that the revenue goes our way so we can get the word out and continue to fund our projects.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So you'll be back in the classroom, I guess, uh, fall 2023.
1: In the fall, yes. After after a couple of things, after the trip to Kemet, a uh, fifteen day tour and a sixteen day do- tour to Ethiopia, and then Thank after you. that, field research in uh, in that region as well. So mm-hmm. after the tours, the field research, then yes, in August I'll be back in the classroom.
0: Yeah, I was just wondering if people are like you know who want to actually see you in person, they could like register for your classes at Contra Costa, right? Contra Costa yeah. Community yeah. College. Yeah. yeah yeah and are your are your tours full like is there room still people who might want to join you in um uh in in the summer this year
1: there's there's still room on the kemet tour june 10th to the 24th but the ethiopia tour 16 days so it's longer than other tours july 25th uh, sorry june 25th to july 10th now the ethiopian tour is limited to only 15 people because um one of the airports it's uh, they have limited flights, so we have to uh, limit the Ethiopian tour to just the first fifteen people that uh, that actually register, not say they want to go but actually register because mm-hmm. um, because of the limitations of going in and out of the airport. so mm-hmm. people should contact us if they want to have a real experience in Africa and learn from an inside perspective this summer
0: right yeah and and I just have to tell everyone that uh, Professor may Uh, if you're looking at the the stars he always gets five stars even though there's only room for four (laughs) (laughs) or six stars are the only room for five everybody just loves his tours and they just tell me oh my goodness we it is just so dense like it takes them so long to like okay I'm back in America now I need to like what did I see like they try to like they have to sit with it to like let it like you know, like come down into their person because it's just so dense all the material um you know, and some people they go more than once because it's just than,
1: they they go more than once, and we already have multiple people from this past uh summer who's already on board and signed up for the summer of twenty twenty
0: three yeah mm, nice nice and and who how young was your has your youngest person been in all your tours, and how old is the most elder? In in your
1: tours, I appreciate it. the The youngest ever was a seven year old Chris from Haiti. His whole family came. They they live in Florida, so his he was seven. His sister was like eleven, and the parents came. Chris was very sharp. He hung in there. He was he was he was with us the entire time. And then we've had elders, you know, in their eighties that have gone. This past summer was Brother Willie Robinsons so or Brother Willie. If you're looking you set the pace he had he had his elders came but but brother willie did not miss anything he went into all of the temples all uh sorry not not temples that's just straight but he climbed in all of the pyramids and climbed in the tombs and told everybody that i'm doing it my way so back away i got this and he set the example and uh, brother willie's in his 80s and he uh he led by example, literally. Even when I said, "Okay, brother, you know, you you, you all, if you want to make it happen, let's go. But if you want to rest or sit this one out, no issue." Willie was right behind me, <laughs> the elder. So yeah, it's, it's no limit. There's no limit. Mm-hmm. If people are willing to learn, then uh, then they can join, regardless Imagine. of age or physical uh, situation. Doesn't matter.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think um, from one of um, some feedback was that. Um, If you know you're going to be going on one of these tours, because it's not until June, this is January, you could start, you know, preparing your body, you know, by doing some kind of regular um, cardiovascular work, as well as, you know, other types of work to build your body, because, you know, it's a different climate, and there's a different level of exertion, and you want to have fun, so. yeah yeah.
1: absolutely and just just start start a walking regimen you know so yeah Mm -hmm. you're right absolutely right so you can get the full experience if you don't do that okay fine you could still learn you'll be excited but if you want to do like elder willie and go into all those special places that no one else goes to because it's like researchers know about some of these places and the average guys are not necessarily aware then um you know just start a little bit of uh exercise so you uh you're at full strength every day all day (laughs)
0: Right. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much, uh, Professor Maynou, for this free will and wonderful conversation. Oh my gosh, I can hardly wait to like watch it again.
1: <laughs>
0: and and um yeah, and, and you know, either um in person or you know uh, or afterwards in, in a recording, you know, you know, taking uh advantage of this wonderful series that that you have um yeah um have put together, you know, the one that was June 9th, which was um uh just recent i guess it was monday and no so January 9th. Was last yeah last week yeah, and 9th. um and then february 6th is coming up and then march 6th are these monday evenings
1: yes they're monday evenings uh they're like uh four o'clock pacific time and and seven to nine uh east uh, eastern time correct mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So
0: keep up the great work.
1: <laughs> appreciate it. Uh, appreciate it. Sister Wanda. You, you've been consistently uh, moving forward. So we appreciate your your work and um and keeping the community informed. So I appreciate you uh, as well.
0: Oh, you're quite welcome. You take good care.
1: <laughs> you too. All right. all right.
0: Congratulations on your sabbatical and good luck on all of your work.
1: Appreciate that. All right. Peace and blessings. Peace.